0: Appreciate that, Miss Heidi. Thank you for your ministry to us tonight. And uh, Miss Robin, I think is in the nursery. Amen. Appreciate those. You know, during any church service, there are people all over this building serving the Lord. Amen. Especially Sunday morning. That's probably the busiest. Amen. And uh, you don't, you won't see. Uh, you'll see Brother Jim and Miss Kim up here for a little while, but then they sneak downstairs and help in Junior Church. I think about. All the nursery workers that we have. By the way, we always need more nursery workers. And all God's nursery workers said? Uh, listen, I think about ERT, that they're always on duty. And I'm just thankful for a church where people serve. And up here, uh, gifts singing like that beautiful song. Thank thank the Lord for people that just use their gifts for the Lord, amen, and for His church. So. Last week in our uh, series on songs for saints, we looked at Psalm chapter 3. We preached a message titled, Now I lay me down to sleep. Uh, In verse 5 of chapter 3, David in the midst of uh, terrible pressure and persecution just said, "I I laid me down and slept. And we looked at the pressure and how his pressure was multiplied and it was many and it was miserable. And then his protection, he, he praised God for defending him and for honoring him and for encouraging him. I love that verse in uh, Psalm 3 verse 3 where he says, uh, Brother Bryce, he calls the Lord the lifter up of mine head. Can I tell you something? There's a song that uh, our, our ladies have sung before. If it matters to you, it matters to the Master. You know, when you're discouraged, when you're down, God longs to lift up your head. To be that one who lifts up your head, and so uh, I love that we have the the pressure and the protection, and of course the peace uh, there in in chapter three verses five and six, and then there's a the petition he asks, and then praise, uh, and so uh, I enjoyed that particular one. But moving into Psalm ten, if you you look at Psalm chapter ten, uh, I always try to give you the context, kind of what's the background of this psalm. I think it helps you understand. But this particular psalm, literally. There are multiple, multiple interpretations of uh, what is going on in the background of this psalm from, uh, meaning, why did David write, he starts off with, why standest thou afar off, Lord, why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble there? uh, Some think that it was the uh, persecution of Saul. Remember when David was in Saul's house and and he, the Bible says he behaved himself wisely, but remember twice. Saul took a javelin and threw it at him, trying to to kill him. Now, and again, I think once would have been enough for me, and all God's people said, amen. But David, he loved Saul, and uh, then, then of course, he's on the run. Remember that? There's so many wonderful stories in that. Remember when Saul comes into the cave to do his business, and David is in the cave with his men, and one of his men says, man, the Lord delivered him into our hands. Go ahead and smite him. And he said, nope. I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. And uh, so yeah, some people think it's, it's the persecution of Saul. Some people think the persecution of the Philistines who were a great thorn in David's side all during his kingdom. Uh, some think it was the Assyrians. Some think it was Sanballat. You remember Sanballat from the book of Nehemiah? Uh, some think the Babylonians and the theories just go on and on and on. Perhaps the most accurate attribution of the context of this psalm is given by a a lutheran theologian named ernst wilhelm hengstenberg aren't you glad you didn't have to write that one in kindergarten on your paper amen who wrote this of psalm 10 he said no trace is anywhere to be found of any individual reference you say what does that mean pastor it's, listen, Psalm 10 is one of great general application for many different times. God doesn't say, like he did at the beginning of Psalm 3, where he said, This is when David was fleeing from Absalom. Meaning we don't know, and so uh, it, it does apply to different times. And by the way, it's interesting. Why standest thou uh, far off, O Lord? Why hidest thyself in times of trouble? Aren't uh, times of trouble something that reoccurs over and over and over and over in, in the child of God? So uh, one thing that is not in much dispute is that Psalm 10 is a continuation of Psalm 9. Uh, Psalm 9 seems to highlight uh, the victories, perhaps in 2 Samuel chapter 8, uh, but whereas Psalm 10 uh, is related to domestic troubles that, that David was having. Again, no wonder such an applicable psalm for all ages. That phrase in times of trouble is not only in Psalm 10 1, but if you look back just a little bit, it's also in Psalm 9, 9 9. The Lord will also be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. The clear subject in both Psalm 9 and 10 is the battle between good and evil. And again, this battle rages today, it raged then, and it will rage until the Lord Jesus Christ throws Satan into the lake of fire, amen? There will be a battle between good and evil. So let me just give you a quick outline of Psalm 10, and then we're going to kind of focus on that one verse, but uh, verse 1, it, we have the inquisition of the godly, and that's really what we're going to focus on, so we'll not linger too long and say, what's that inquisition? Why? Why? Why is this happening? Why, is this, why does this keep going? You know, Braden is saying that right now. Why, Dad, are you taking me out? Amen? Why? Amen? The inquisition of the godly. By the way, that is a very natural question. You know why? I think that there is a sense of justice in every one of us as we grow up. Did you ever, ever play a game and, and uh, maybe I grew up in, a, in an area where there was a lot of kids my age, we were always playing football or stickball or whatever. And uh, you ever have, some, you have an incidence where something you say, that's not fair. That's not fair. Listen, that, there, there's that sense of justice in us. We, that, by the way, that's one of the reasons I like sports. It's a meritocracy. Say, what's that? It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter how wide you are or fast you are or whatever. If you can do the job, you can do the job. Amen? And so so we have that kind of that, that. So it's natural for the godly to say to God, why? That's not fair. That's not fair that the wicked oppress the poor. That's not fair. So there's the inquisition of the godly. And then from verses 2 through 13, we see the iniquity of the godless. Not only the inquisition of the godly, but the iniquity or the sin of the godless. Just look at this. It's, it's like a description. By the way, uh, there's some commentaries think this is almost a perfect description of the Antichrist. And who he's going to be when he comes on the scene after the rapture of the church. But look what it says there in verse 2. The wicked in his what? That is, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, pride is the mother that gives birth to all other sins. It is the first sin uh, in in Isaiah chapter 14 when when Lucifer said, I'm going to be God. He said, I'm going to be just like him. No, you're not either. Amen. So the wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor. Let them be taken in the devices they have imagined. By the way, when I read that, I can't help, those of you that know your Bibles, I can't help but think of the story of Esther. Remember old Haman? Haman contracted this this plan, this plot, to have all the Jews killed. And remember, in particular, he hated Mordecai because Mordecai wouldn't bow down to Haman. And you remember what happened? He erected that 70-foot hangman's gallows for Mordecai, and you remember what happened, Esther stood up and for such a time as this, came to the king and said, look king, you signed a decree, you didn't know you signed it, but you've signed the death warrant of my people. And he said, who did that? And they said it was Haman. And you remember what happened? Haman got hanged on that gallows that he made for Mordecai. Verse 3 says the wicked boasteth. Of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. It goes on uh, through all the way down through verse thirteen. Wherefore doth the wicked contemn God? He has said in his heart, "Thou will not requite it." Uh, verse eleven, he says, "He has said in his heart, God hath forgotten; he hideth his face; he will never see it." That listen, that is wicked godlessness right there. They think this God will not see it. I read a book a couple of years ago now. It's a tremendous book. I, I highly, there are some books, three or four books that I actually try to consume once a year. And this, this went on the once of the year uh, group. And it's a book called Live Not by Lies by Rod Dreher. It was uh, made in, in uh, it was published in 2020. So it's very, very modern, very readable And it has to do with the soft totalitarianism that's going on uh, today versus the hard totalitarianism of the Soviet Union during the Eastern Bloc. And he tells stories, Brother Stark, about Christians during the Soviet Bloc. And there, there wasn't the quantity of Christians that we have in America, but the quality far surpassed us. And he talked about how godless, atheistic communism, which, by the way, has only taken a nap. It's still around. it's still, And it's still in our country, too. And he talked about how one of the first things that godless communism does is they, they take dissidents, they take people who will not bow to their ideology, and they ship them off to gulags. They ship them off to labor camps, which the Soviets did in the hundreds of thousands, yea, and even in the millions. Many Christians, many, many people who weren't Christian, maybe Jehovah's Witnesses, maybe people that were social democrats, just would not bow to the ideology. Well, there was one scene that this man was talking about. He was giving the story in the, the mid-80s. Now, the Cold War is almost over in the mid-80s for us. But there's still dissident camps. And they march these freezing prisoners out into a field. And the, the the member of the KGB, which used to be the NKVD, which are just the murderous apparatus of, of the Russians, of the Soviets, walks up to them. And he tells them to line up in a very specific fashion. And he walks up to the first one. And he said, Do you believe in God? These are Christians that he has. And the man says, yes. And he pulls out a pistol and he shoots the man in the head. So that his brains splatter on the next man. And that man drops. And that man coldly reloads his pistol. And comes up to the next one and says, is there a God? And that second man said, yes, there is. And he did the same thing. Repeated the process through the whole line. You know what? Listen to me. Godlessness says God doesn't see that. You know what verse 14 says? Thou hast seen it. And thou wilt requite it. So there's the inquisition of the godly. There's the iniquity of the godless. And there's the immovability of God. Love this little poem. There always will be a God written by Albert Murray. Listen to this. They cannot shell His temple nor dynamite His throne. They cannot bomb His city nor rob Him of His own. Nor starve Him to surrender nor make Him change His mind. They cannot take Him captive nor strike Him dumb or blind. They cannot cause Him panic nor cut off his supplies, they cannot take his kingdom, nor hurt him with their lies. Though all the world be shattered, his truth remains the same. His righteous laws still potent, and God is still his name. Though we face war and struggle and feel their goad and rod, we know above confusion. There always will be God. Verse 1, why? Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thyself in times of trouble? We'll look at three whys in this text. Give you four applications. How to deal with why in your life. Number one, why is God silent? That's what he's asking here in verse 1. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? I heard a story from Auschwitz that a young man told who was a survivor. He was just a little boy at the time. And his job was to take care of bodies as a little boy. And he told the story of a rabbi being in line at the gas chamber at Auschwitz and praying, Lord, this is against you. This is against your people. Do something. And of course, they went, to their, they went to their death. Why? Why God? Why do you permit such things? Brother Dave asked me a question this morning. We we gave the prayer request for this missionary family that lost a 17-year-old boy. Missionary family. Listen, folks. These are people who have given their lives for the cause of Christ. Why? That's what Brother Dave asked. Why a 17-year-old? Why? Why, God? Why? Why didn't you intervene? Why are you so far away? Why is God silent? Number two. Right along with that. Why do the wicked succeed? Huh? Why do the wicked succeed? Look at verse number... Well, we we read verses 2 through 11 there. Go with me. Hold your place here in Psalm 10. Go to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. I love that this is in the Bible, Brother Jim. Amen? Because I have thought this so many times myself. You know, I see, I see good people. I see people that, that love the Lord. I see people who give of their income. And, and they're constantly scraping by and just, just getting through, leaking their way through. And I think to myself, and I see the wicked that have more, as this text says. Look at verse 3. It says, for I was envious of the wicked. Psalm 73, verse 3. I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They, they set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither and waters of a full, cu- a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Then he says this, Verily, have I, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. In essence, he's saying here, I'm trying to live a godly life and I'm trying to do right and I, I'm trying to worship you, God, and, and I see the prosperity of the wicked. Why? Why? Why is God silent? Why do the wicked succeed. Back there in Psalm 10 verse 13 Wherefore doth the wicked contemn God? He hath said in his heart Thou wilt not require it. So the why of silence. The why of success of the wicked. And then look at verse 2 of Psalm 10 if you would. Go back to Psalm chapter 10. Why is God silent? Why do the wicked succeed? And then Verse 2 says, The wicked in his pride doth what? Persecute the poor. Persecute the poor. And then look down verse 8. He sitteth in lurking places of the villages. In the secret places doth he murder the innocent. His eyes are privily set against who? The poor. The poor. Verse 9, He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the... He doth catch the... When he draweth him in his net, he croucheth and humble himself that the... may fall into his strong ones. Why is God silent? Number one. Number two, why doth the wicked succeed? Number three, why are the poor set aside? Why are the poor set aside? Why are the poor always persecuted? God, why do you allow this? You know, I remember, some of you remember, years ago, 1988. That'll that'll ring some bells for some of us, amen. By the way, the hard part about thinking about 1988 is it was 35 years ago now. That's a little rough to consider. Remember when, in 1988, Jesse Jackson ran for president? Anybody remember that? And they released his tax returns. And he was always talking about the poor, and talking about the poor, and helping the poor, and everybody ought to help the poor, and you ought to give through my organization so you can help the poor. And the man gave $800 to charity. And I think about what John said about Judas in John chapter 12 when he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag. Jesus, By the way, Jesus said about the poor, he said, the poor you have with you always. Until Jesus comes and makes things right, or there's always going to be folks that are poor and have needs and need a little help and all that. But here, he's saying, Why? Why? Let me give you four Bible answers to why, Lord. Just take these down, and we'll go to each of these references, and we'll be done. Just just a a short message tonight. Go to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter number 55. Why, Lord? Why? Why? By the way, please always remember, we mentioned in our title, why is the easiest question to ask and the most difficult question to answer. Remember, Jesus Christ, in his fourth cross utterance, fulfilled Psalm 22, verse 1, which says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Remember what God's answer was? Silence. That still, many times, is God's answer to that difficult question. I have a dear friend. I've become a dear friend to him. We've never met face to face. We got in touch through the little baseball game I play. He's an Orthodox Jew. And been going through a difficult divorce the reason he's been going through a difficult divorce is he had two adult children commit suicide and it just broke his wife's heart and they just couldn't and dividing up the assets and all that and and if I told you the story it's almost a modern job you almost wouldn't believe it and he asks me I, I probably talk to him five times a week he calls me And he says he always thanks me. He said, Pastor Rich, I know you have a life and your wife has cancer and you always pick up the phone and, and I said, Well, listen, you know, you, sometimes you just need to talk to somebody. But over and over, Brother Jim, he'll ask me, Pastor, can I ask you something? And I know what's coming. He'll just say, you know, he said, I've always tried to be a good person. I've given, I've helped people. He said, I've paid off people's mortgages. I've I've done all this and I he said, I just don't understand why. This is happening. And I would, you know, listen, I, I'd love to give a strong gospel present. This is a broken-hearted person. I hope the Lord will give me an opportunity face-to-face to share about our beloved Messiah. But until then, four, four answers from the Scripture for why, Lord. Look at Psalm, or Isaiah 55. Look at verses 8 and 9, please. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. I don't think this is uh, uh, spoken or meant to be read in this kind of a tone, by the way. For my thoughts aren't your thoughts, you know. I don't think God says it that way. I think he's, He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But He says this, and... By the way, you read it in its context, he's talking about the wicked man turning to God, and no matter how wicked he is, if he turns to God, God will save him. But he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What's the, what's the first answer to why, Lord? Trust the ways of God. Easy preaching, hard living. Some of you have lost a child. Some of you have lost a spouse. Some of you have lost, had suffered financial reverse. You've just gone through things and sickness and health battles and all that and You just still don't understand. By the way, I've been through some things that still... uh, uh, Brother Jim, I still don't understand why God took your nephew. Best kid I ever knew. I don't understand that. I understand that God has ways that are above my ways. And I've just got to settle that in my heart. Number two. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I think this one especially fits when you think about Psalm 73. We, we look around and we see the wicked prospering. Miss, Miss Nancy, we see it with our own eyes, and, and it just befuddles us. But Psalm, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7 is a verse for why. What's it say there, church? It says, for we walk by faith and not by faith. Sight. Can I, I give you the, the why there, you know. Talk about trusting in the ways of God. Don't let your eyes betray you. Don't let your eyes betray your faith. Listen, we walk by faith. That means that means things don't make sense sometimes. You know what God tells us in Proverbs three, five, and six. He said, "Lean not under your own understanding." Why? Because. Go it goes back to Isaiah 55. Your understanding and God's understanding are different. So yeah. we walk by faith and not by sight. How about Romans chapter 8? And not the one you're thinking of. You're thinking he's going to go to verse 28. Nope. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9, Bible answer to why. Second Corinthians 5 7, a Bible answer to why. Romans chapter 8, look at verse 18. Romans 8.18. Here's a Bible answer for why. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. God wrote that, ladies and gentlemen. You ever read that verse and you think where it talks about that eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love Him? So Swaffer, I've read that verse and I've thought, listen, I know a little bit about heaven from the Word of God. You know, you read Revelation 21 and 22 and you see this this incredible place that God has prepared that comes down as a bride adorned for her husband. It's got jasper walls and gates of pearl and the whole city is made of gold. And, and we think about all the, that's going to be there. We think about our loved ones that have placed their faith in Christ and they're going to be there and all that. But that verse says, not only has your eye not seen it and your ear not heard it, you haven't even thought about the things I you you can't even consider the things that I have prepared for those that love me. You know what? When I think of that verse, I think of this verse. Remember, we we just finished a series on Joseph, and Joseph suffered. He suffered. He suffered the hatred of his brothers. He suffered. Uh, Literally, he was shackled, falsely imprisoned, falsely accused, forgotten about, all those things. He suffered. And then, God showed him why he permitted the suffering. Now, we're not Joseph. God may never show us why this side of heaven. But it says right here in this verse, that the sufferings of this present time, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be... What I I think is that when God finally does show us the things that He hath prepared for them that love Him, that we'll say, did I really let that bother me? Did I really question you about that, God? Four Bible Answers to Why, Lord. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians 5.7, Romans 8.18, go to Psalm 37. We'll be done. Give you a, we'll go to one more scripture and give you a quick illustration. Psalm 37. Hear those pages turning. Sounds like a fall wind in here, Amen? moving the leaves beautiful look at verse 5 please you're you're tempted to ask why Psalm 37 5 commit thy way unto the Lord trust also in him he shall bring it to pass just trust the Lord Trust the Lord. That's not easy. But it's easier than constantly raising your fist to the Lord. Just saying, Lord, I don't understand this, and this has broken my heart. But I know you're good. I know you have purpose in this. I know you have a plan. I know your ways are above my ways. Go to John chapter 16. I said we'll be done. This is our, the last scripture we'll look at here. Why is God silent? Why do the wicked succeed? Why are the poor set aside? You know what my answer to my friend is, my Jewish friend? I don't know, Jim. I don't know. Well, you're the pastor. You know, you're supposed to have all the Bible answers. Yeah. I'll trade you. I'm still a human being, just like you, and some things there aren't an answer for as some Bible principles we can put into place to help us. Look at John chapter 16, please. John chapter 16. As soon as I get there. Verse 22. He said, And ye now therefore have sorrow, this is Jesus speaking, amen, but I will see you again. Ooh. And your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in that day ye shall ask me what? Nothing. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Talking about prayer there. But he says, in that day, uh, uh, you're uh, you're sorrowing. Uh," He said, I'm going to go away. I'm going to the cross, but I'm going to come back. And when you see me, you're going to rejoice. And you're not going to ask me anything. Vance Havner has one of the greatest sermons you can ever hear. I think you can find it if you just look up Vance Havner, Why. It's in his book on, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, which is a great book for anybody that's grieving. But he said this, When he comes... All our wise will be answered, but not in a question and answer show. In that day ye shall ask me nothing, he says here. All the wise, the problems and heartaches, the sin and sorrow and suffering, the unanswered miseries and mysteries of today have been wrapped up and taken care of in those six awful hours on the cross. When He said, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? So what do I do with my wives? Leave them at the foot of the cross. Leave them at the foot of the cross. Father, thank You.